1: Hello and welcome to this impromptu Manchester's Red podcast on a Sunday. Very unusual, I appreciate, but we haven't got a podcast for you on Monday, given that Manchester United play Wigan Athletic in the FA Cup eight fifteen. So we decided that we were going to mop up all the Manchester United news from the back end of the week and the weekend, a bit of gossip, a bit of transfers chat. And at the back end of this podcast, there's going to be a preview with my good friend Nick Seddon, who's a Wigan Athletic journalist, is going to give us the inside scoop from behind enemy lines and see what Wigan can bring to the table and whether they can cause a, a cup set, as it's known. Wigan, of course, beat Manchester City in 2013 to lift the FA Cup, but that was a very, very, very different Wigan Athletic side. And to beat Manchester United in the FA Cup third round in 2024 will be a much bigger scalp, and beating Manchester City in 2013. So, without further ado, I'm delighted to be joined by Tyrone Marshall, Senior Football Writer at the Manchester Evening News. Let's get into it. Right, Ty, thanks for joining me. Uh just full disclosure, everybody that's listening. We are recording this on a Sunday. No, on a Thursday for a Sunday release. So if any of the stuff that we talk about does seem to have already happened or dispelled or any updates, then you know you're going behind the curtain here. We are actually recording this ahead of time. But Ty, I just want to uh jump straight in. So so the news as of right now is that Jaden Sancho's loan deal is to be confirmed with him going to Borussia Dortmund for a fee of around 3 million euros. So rather than speculate on whether it's going to happen what does it mean for Jadon Sancho leaving Manchester United is his career over are they sending him on loan in case they sack ten hag in case so they can bring him back like what what's going on
2: I mean I think a loan was the only the the only possible option this this window it's you know it's hard to drum up sales Sancho's value is at an all-time low if he not played in four months I don't think there was ever a realistic possibility of a sale really unless he wanted to go to Saudi Arabia and he doesn't so that kind of made a loan inevitable it's a, it's three million euros all in so that's including the wages so it's not even just a loan fee so you know United are getting very little out of this um in fact you know I, I'm not sure either either party's getting much out of it Sancho's going back to somewhere where he's already impressed if he played well it kind of proves a point to no one because he played well at Dortmund before he came to United and then didn't play well at United so I don't, I don't beyond playing regularly I don't really see that he's getting anything out of it and if it goes badly for him it will just look like he's a busted plush, really, as a as a high-level footballer. And for United, I mean, it's, it's buying time, isn't it? Like we say, they're getting barely anything in terms of a wage contribution and, and a loan fee. It is just a case of get him out the door because his face doesn't fit anymore. He's training on his own. He's persona non grata at Carrington. So I'm not sure it really suits either party. The The only possibility, I guess, is if the manager does change at United in the next six months, which is, is a fairly realistic possibility at the moment... It might mean Sancho can come back in the summer and have a fresh start. But, you know, there, there's a lot of water that's gone under the bridge and not just with Ten Hag, but with with everyone at the club, really, with teammates, with John Murter, with executives. You know, it's not just Ten Hag, he's annoyed here. So I don't think it's as simple as the manager goes and it's back to square one. I still think there's a degree of making up to do. I think in the short term, it's just a case that it's, Sancho won't be United's problem for the next few months it's, it's as simple as that really You've seen
1: a lot of comments from, um, from like ex-players and, and, and colleagues that have sort of said, you know, he turns up late for training, he's lazy, he's this, he's that, is the other Why have United not just tried to sell him before this and why is why is, why is what's happening happening, basically?
2: He was, um, you know, he was late for training when he was at Dortmund. That that was a problem over there. You know, he was producing for them. He was a good player for them. His returns for them were fantastic. And the same reason that that clubs, when when players of this talent do have those issues, clubs try and work with them to get the most out of them. And United spent 73 million on Sancho. They, they do not want to cut their losses on him and, and sell him for a fraction of that. They don't want to give up on him because they know there's a talented player there. But there's there's obviously issues in terms of, Disciplines and, and things like that, you know. Like I say it was it was an issue at Dortmund. Whether whether it'll be an issue for the next six months, who knows? It's it's Dortmund's problem, I guess, in the short term. But it is something that he will undoubtedly have to improve on if he wants to make it anywhere, really. Because at some point, when the performances stop, like they have done with United, then the 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 leeway you've got for that sort of thing reduces significantly as well. And I think that's what's happened.
1: We'll touch on it a little bit later on um with with the sort of comments that that uh, Jim Ratcliffe has made on United and the the sort of silly money that they they've spent and and everything but but if united knew that jaden sancho had problems at dortmund with being late and everything like
2: that why did they still pursue pursue the the transfer and want to buy him let's not forget that as badly as it's turned out in 2021 when united signed sancho every single united fan was excited by that deal there wasn't a single person going oh that look, that looks a bad deal I think everyone, everyone in English football thought that looks a good deal. Still a very young player at the time. I think he was 21 when United signed him. A lot of young players have these kind of issues with, with lateness, with disciplinary issues. Let's not forget Garnaccio had it on tour last year. So Sancho is not the only player in that United squad to have, to have had those problems under Ten Hag. Um, And when the talent is that big, you, you do kind of take a risk on it. You, you back yourselves to fix it. You back yourselves that the player will mature and change. Um, so so that's why they did it, I guess, because they know what, what a good player is, is in there. It's just it's that kind of player has not been seen so far at United.
1: I guess the, the, the thing that makes it even more frustrating is how poor Anthony has been in that right position. And the fact that, you know, he'll probably never play for United again. But United do still have Mason Greenwood on the books, who is thriving over in Spain. And then if Jadon Sancho does go to Dortmund and thrives, you sort of see from United's perspective, they've got two right wingers. That are out out of the team are on loan, doing really well. Whilst United are stuck with Anthony, who's you know been stinking the place out, and that eighty-five million pound transfer fee hanging over his head continually comes up. But he's just he's just sort of all around doom and gloom at United. But just to move on from from the Sancho situation, um, a bit of positive news for United fans is that Andre Onana is going to play the United's next two games. Is that correct? Before... Jetting off to Afcon,
2: yes, it looks like it. He's he's certainly available for them. You would imagine he'll 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 play them now, seeing as he's he's staying behind. Yeah.
1: So what what's the story there? Because when United signed him, and then the story came out that he was was he had he retired from Cameroon, and he's now going back to play for them. But it was all this: oh, Bayindir needs to play, and he's you know he's going to be needed for potentially six games in January, February. Whilst Onana is out of the game, out of the team. He didn't play against Newcastle in the in the uh, the Carabao Cup. He didn't play in in other games where it was slated that he might he might be given his opportunity. Now it looks like he's not going to play in January at all if United play these two games against Wigan and
2: Spurs. So so where does that leave him? As yes, as number two keeper. Um that that was very much the deal when he arrived. He was at a cut price number two when Henderson left it you know, 5 million euro release clause. He was a nice, easy deal to do. Um, it's, it's hard, difficult to know whether to read too much into the fact that he hasn't played those games yet. The two Carabao Cup games were the obvious ones for him to play. Ten Hag said he wanted to play Anana in, in those to help him with his adaptation period. That's obviously going to be an issue for Bainder if he ever plays, I guess. But, I mean, there is now a scenario where Anana misses no games for United if if cameroon uh, get knocked out in the group stage then he'll be back in time for the um a likely FA cup fourth round game so there's a possibility where he he can he can play that tottenham game go and they get knocked out in the groups i think that's pretty unlikely given it a similar format to the euros it's it's almost impossible to get knocked out of the group stage of of the afcon and a team of cameroon's quality you wouldn't expect it to happen to it's an interesting scenario there January the 1st, I think, was the official release date for players. Arno Camero- will be available for Cameroon's first game, but that's 23 hours after United Tottenham finishes. So it is literally finishing playing for United Tottenham, jumping on a plane within a matter of hours of, of landing, really, presuming he does play in that game. I think it, you know, it gives credence to the idea that, A, he's a bit worried about his United place and missing too many games, and also that you know, may- maybe he's not entirely sold on international duty he had told united in the summer he had retired he fell out very publicly with rigobert song in the world cup just over a year ago he's he's been talked out of retirement since then this certainly adds to the impression that maybe he's he's not entirely sold on that idea that there may have been a bit of pressure from from cameroon to to come out of retirement you know he's he's a huge he's a superstar in in cameroon really um and if if his arm's been twisted he's probably been been tempted into it but he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because he also feels a bit of loyalty to United. I think it, you know, it shows how delicate a solution this is that he could play two games within twenty four hours, really, or two games would it be two games within twenty six hours, um, including a flight to the Ivory Coast. It's it's not an ideal solution for Cameroon, I guess. The fact that they've agreed to it would suggest that Anana Anana must have put pressure on them and said if you don't if you don't agree to something like this, I'm I'm just not coming. I'm gonna retire again. They've got friendly against Zambia next Tuesday, I think, and Arna's going to miss all of that. So, you know, it does suggest that he has, he has maybe put a bit of pressure back on Cameroon and said, I'll come, but I'm only coming at the, at the very latest. It is, um, it is a very interesting situation.
0: No one covers Manchester United quite like the Manchester Evening News, and through our MUFC Pro app, you can support our journalism and become part of our United community, getting the best experience ad-free, pop-up-free and distraction-free as well, giving you the best news and interviews, great features and much more. Now is the perfect time to subscribe as we've just launched a special new year offer which includes MEM Premium for just £12 for 12 months. Download the app and get started today. We're launching a brand new bite-sized midweek audio-only podcast, bringing you the latest happenings from Old Trafford in a much more informal format, covering topical news, online gossip, transfers and personal tales as a roundup of everything you might have missed surrounding Manchester United. Join host Tyrone Marshall and myself, Rich Fay, as we go inside the club, separating the fact from the fiction and giving you an edge on your mates down the pub. Just moving on then
1: to, there's a piece that you've written, it's an opinion piece that you've written, it's a really strong opinion piece on 13 players, Man United, uh, to, sorry, Ineos have 13 Man United players to build a squad around. Can you just give us an explanation to this and your thoughts around it and, and how it's going to help shape the future of the club after 10 years of of turgidity, is that even a word? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean it's you know it's a little bit of guesswork really looking at obviously anyos and to Dave Brailsford are in there at the moment and looking at the structures and we are expecting a new sporting director in. But while Brailsford and EOS are looking at the structure at the moment, when the new sporting director is in place, he'll be looking at that squad and, and looking at who's staying and who's going. And the way this season's gone, it does kind of give you twelve or thirteen players. I, I estimated that are that you would say are here at the moment and will be staying next season and a solid bets. Obviously, more than that will stay. There's no way they are just going to go into next season with 12 or 13 players and, and sign another 10. Um, but the, the future of so many is, is up in the air, really, that they are going to look at it. And, and especially, you know, we, we know what they're, used to phrase in 2019, that United have been dumb money for too long. And I think they'll be looking at some of those deals as well. Casemiro, as things stand, three and a half years left. 31, not been good this season. Highest earner in the squad. They're probably looking at that, thinking time to cut losses. Ran I think it's pretty clear what the, the direction of travel there is. I think I'd, I'd be surprised if he's here beyond the summer. Um, there's obviously a lot to play. Is that contract we're going to go? Martial, the option taken on Lindelof's contract, same we believe with, with wan is going to happen. The future is, is very much uncertain around them. Anthony, the same. You'd have to say the future is uncertain because performances have been nowhere near good enough. If Ten Hag goes, it might make a departure for him more likely because the two are kind of wedded together. So, you know, when you look at that squad and, and what they'd be planning for next season, there's probably not an off not an awful lot of stability there at the moment. Who do you think
1: United need to bring in or or what positions do United need to bring in at, sort of in the summer? As of you know, not not saying bring in ten players, but if you if you had a sort of looking at it and going, United need to bring in cover. So say, say for instance for Anders to leave, so we need a centre back. And then Anthony Marshall was to leave. We need a striker. Is there any? Is there any players that you know right now that you think would slot into that for an affordable
2: price? I mean, the thing is, it's it's so far away from the summer that I think it's difficult to know who's going to be available and what sort of budget United will have to work with. It's you know, league qualification. We know FFP is pretty tight. I think it's fairly clear they're going to need a forward. Martial's going to go. Hoyland needs some help up there, so I think that has probably got to be the priority. Really, at least one more centre forward coming in. Um, maybe a centre back if 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 Varane goes, if if Lindelof goes as well, at least one centre back. Maybe a right back if if you want an upgrade there. So there's, you know, there are areas of the squad I think that that need looking at. Striker is definitely the priority for me, but it it's so far away from the summer window that it's it's impossible really to put a name on it. I think at the moment of of who they should go for, but the the striker certainly is is the priority. I mean you'd you'd look at the moment, I guess, and think of someone like Osserman, but it's not beyond possibility that he goes somewhere else this year, that that his situation at Napoli changes in six months, but it feels like they need that kind of caliber of striker.
1: Do you think United could end up with another summer transfer saga? You know, a Jaden Sancho-esque, a Harry Kane-esque? Or do you think that that with the new the new ownership sort of Ineos that they might actually have a bit of uh a bit of structure in place and they actually know who to target rather than linked with everybody.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's always possible and these links will always continue because, you, you know, United, you know, if you're an Asian, United are a good club to get your player linked to. It's, it puts them on the market, gets them out there in terms of newspaper coverage for a potential move or getting them a new contract. So, you know, those links will never go away. And to be fair to United, that is, that is absolutely not their fault that agents use them in 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 newspaper talk and things like that, for for reasons of getting a move and, and advertising their players on the market and things like that, you know, there's, there's always a chance that transfers will drag on all summer. It, it isn't a problem just to United. It does seem to have happened to them a lot and happened to them unsuccessfully, I guess, a lot recently. Sancho the year before he signed, Frankie De Jong in Tenag's first season. They were obviously pretty keen to avoid that last summer by by distancing themselves from Kane so early. I can't imagine Ineos would want to be involved in something like that, but. The reality is sometimes it's just hard to avoid. There's there's a reason a lot so many deals go down to the wire that unless there's a player easily available or it suits all parties, then these negotiations can be pretty difficult. So I, I would think Ineos and whoever the manager is would would want business done early, but that is always a lot easier said than done. And just before we wrap up this uh,
1: opening part of the show, before we move on to a preview of Wigan versus Manchester United, one big positive that United have had is that Martinez and Casemiro were. Both back in training, we've seen video footage. I think it was head of Bayern Munich of of Martinez in training, which you can find if you look on our on our Twitter feed and our YouTube and and TikTok. But um, Ty, how, how bigger how big a boost is this? Especially if they can both get game get minutes against Wigan. Wigan are, are what eighteenth, I think, in League One at the time of recording, there or thereabouts. Uh, you know, not not expected to be a big threat. Do you do you reckon Martinez and
2: Casemiro could could start or or at least come off the bench in this game? I, I I mean, maybe Casemiro on the bench. It, it still feels fairly early for them. They've only just returned to training. You know, you're probably only looking at three or four days of training. Casemiro's been out for two months. Martinez has been out for four months, I think. So it's quite a long absence, really. Um, you know, you look at De Bruyne at City, who's who's been out for four months and has, has trained for two and a half to three weeks now and still hasn't actually played yet. So. It might be that Wigan comes too soon for them. The, the bench is big enough these days to get them on the bench in case they can get 10 minutes, I guess. Um, there's the Tottenham game the week after and then a two-week break. There's probably a decent chance of maybe a behind-closed-doors friendly during that break to get them some game time and try and get them fit and firing for for hopefully an FA Cup fourth-round game or that, that Wolves game. has kind of pinned his future to the hopes of getting an improvement out of these returning players by saying it's going to be like five or six new signings. So will be pleased to see them back, and, and hoping that they can perform.
1: So hopefully, they, them two can come back. And as you as you said, that Hag said that it was uh, like new signings. We hope to see Mason Mount return at some point as well. Yeah, tight. Thanks for joining me for this brief Sunday podcast. I'm going to hand over now to myself and Nick Seddon, who are going to speak behind enemy lines as Manchester United face Wigan Athletic away at the DW Stadium on Monday evening at eight fifteen. John is in part two. And we will see you on Tuesday for the Manchester's Red podcast back in the office.
0: No one covers Manchester United quite like the Manchester Evening News. And through our MUFC pro app, you can support our journalism and become part of our United community getting the best experience ad-free, pop-up free, and distraction-free as well, giving you the best news and interviews, great features, and much more. Now is the perfect time to subscribe as we've just launched a special new year offer which includes MEM Premium for just £12 for 12 months. Download the app and get started today. We're launching a brand new bite-sized midweek audio-only podcast bringing you the latest happenings from Old Trafford in a much more informal format covering topical news, online gossip, transfers and personal tales as a roundup of everything you might have missed surrounding Manchester United. Join host Tyrone Marshall and myself, Rich Fay, as we go inside the club separating the fact from the fiction and giving you an edge on your mates down the pub. Hello and
1: welcome back to the Manchester's Red Sunday special podcast. I'm now delighted to be joined by Nick Seddon, he's an old pal of mine, also a seasoned journalist. He used to cover latics and has also done a bit of horse racing in his time. Nick is currently travelling the world, so Nick, without me spoiling it all for you, will you just give us a a bit of an insight
3: as to where you are, what you're up to and what your history is? Hey, Seb. Yeah, all good, thank you. In Sydney, Australia at the moment on something of a career break. But yeah, I was a journalist in the UK for about 10 years, primarily probably on the horse racing, worked for the Jockey Club for the last couple of years. But Wigan has always been the first love. I worked for the media team as an intern for a few years, about 10 years ago, doing the match reports and the Twitter. And I've covered them as well for uh, the Wigan Post in the absence of Paul Kendrick over the many over many years as well so plenty of ups plenty of downs watching latex and hopefully a big night for them on monday night right well let's get into it
1: nick it's uh wigan v man united on monday evening our time i don't know what it is uh, where you are it's probably about three o'clock in the morning or something but i want to i want to throw a stat straight down your throat uh sean maloney the manager what is sean maloney's most famous stat versus manchester united
3: Oh, that's easy. He is the man that scored the goal in Wigan Athletic's only victory against Manchester United. That was back in 2012. It was a significant one as well. It was arguably the moment that turned the title race in the favour of Manchester City and led to that moment that we all love and remember. Um, It was a heck of a goal as well. He was a real player on his day, Sean Maloney. Um, curled it into the bottom corner and it is the only time that we've had any kind of joy against Manchester United. Wigan and United have played each other 19 times in competitive games. The scorelines read 18-1 in favour of Manchester United and even more crushingly the goal difference is 65-5 to the Red Devils.
1: Yep I was actually uh, I've written all this down myself because I was going to throw this at you and say Nick what's the goal difference? Sean Maloney though um, formerly of, of Hibs and he was relieved of his duties in 2022, joined Latix just under a year ago now, in January the 28th, I think it is, off the top of my head, 2023. So what has he brought to the club and how does he go about? How does he? The biggest question, the elephant in the room, how does Sean Maloney's Wigan Athletic beat Man United? Now, one more stat I want to throw at you before you answer this question. In the past 10 games, the scorelines have all been goal or goals to nil. Wigan winning one of them, United winning nine of them. It's a very low scoring tally as far as Wigan are concerned. Wigan have never scored more than one goal against Manchester United. Man United's average goals against Wigan is 3.15 goals per game. Wigan's is 0.26, which means that this game is probably going to win 4-3 to Wigan. <laughs> but just looking at Sean Maloney's tactics, looking at the squad that, that Wigan have got, 17th in, the, in League One, Obviously, that point deduction, which I'm sure you'll talk about, really doesn't reflect well on, you know, w- Wigan should be a lot higher on the table,
3: realistically, without that. But yeah, how how do Wigan compete with Manchester United? I think we can come back to that, Seb. I think the first thing to say is it's actually a, re- an, a remarkable achievement. The Wigan Athletic are even in the third round of the FA Cup against Manchester United. If you go back to May last year, um, they've had a, the club have had a terrible time with ownership issues they very nearly went under. I'm sure you'll all remember during COVID. Um, they were bought out by a Bahraini consortium and it, it it struggled they struggled inevitably in the end. Um, and this time back in May, you know, we were back in peril. The club was really struggling for money, and it got to the point where um, Sean Maloney talked about it to Paul Kendrick in the Wigan Post the other day. There was moments where he didn't think the club was going to survive. So, I mean, if you go back to the last game of the season in the championship last year against Rotherham um, there was a huge amount of players that actually refused to play because they weren't being paid their wages. It actually led to quite a few nice moments. Um, there was a guy at landing goal, Sam Tickle made his professional debut. He was so good. He's never left the team since. So there are moments to that were bright spots in it, but I mean, the club has had to be rebuilt from the ground up. Really Sean Maloney and Gregory up the sporting director. They are the recruitment team. There isn't really a recruitment team at Wigan. They've built a squad that is competitive in the league, despite a points deduction. Um, It's a very young and stretched squad. And it's all moving forward, but there's still a long way to go. Um, They've shown plenty of promise so far this season. They're a very talented and young squad. But yeah, the, the elephant in the room is there's a big step up here between being competitive with Barnsley like they were on on New Year's Day, got a fantastic point, and yeah, being competitive with Man United, a Premier League Champions League team. So, how does Sean Maloney set his team up? How does he up? He, he prefers a
1: four-two-three-one formation, often three-four-one-two or a three-four-three, but more more often than not, he's, he opts for the four-two-three-one. So, how do you how does he up? <clears throat> and how does he actually attack? Basically, how does he attack Man United? Or do they part the bus and look for a counter
3: attack? Well, Maloney's a disciple of Roberto Martinez. So he was the man that got Wigan their finest hour. They won the FA Cup in 2013. He likes to play nice football. And I think Maloney took over from Colo Torre back this time last year. And it was a bit of a disaster, to be perfectly honest, under Torre. So it was more of a firefighting at first, keeping the goals down, keeping Wigan tight, getting them more difficult to beat. And it's been more of the same in League One, really. Um, they're at the best they're a difficult team to beat um, they're a young side so they don't always have the best days but um, you know they've shown some real glimpses they went to Bolton earlier in the season and put four past Bolton they will be a, they will be the only team to do that this season Bolton are probably going to go up you'd think just looking at the league table um, so there's plenty of players in there but I think he'll stay true to what they do he'll keep them tight at the back he'll keep that formation that he plays and he'll, he'll look to to really put United under pressure. They've got a lot of talent. Um, I mean, Charlie Hughes at the back. I mean, it's impressive for Wigan's academy setup. They've got two young lads, Charlie Hughes and Sam Tickle. One plays for England under-20s, the other England under-21s. So there's a lot of talent there at the back, and I think he'll trust them to just stay true to how they play and try and rattle United that way. But it's a huge task. Um, They're probably two of the main players to look out for, Callum Lang and Marshall Godot who's on loan from Fulham, probably two of our more exciting player players. Um, I think Stephen Humphrey's the man who scored the winning goal in the last round, is an injury doubt. And that's the key thing. There's a few players missing from injuries. Matthew Smith, a lad we sound from Arsenal, and a central midfielder. He's he's missing. He'll be a big miss. Tom Pearce at left back is another miss. So, yeah, I think if you go back to the the game, Wigan, not Man City out as a League One team in 2018, and and that was when City were at the peak of their powers. They they still are, of course. Um, and it was all about that night. I mean, it's still remarkable that they beat them. Uh, keeping it tight, trying to hit them on the break, and I think World great shot on goal was Wigan's only shot of the entire game, so it's probably more of the same. Um, I mean, there'll be a near sellout crowd on Monday night, so hopefully the, the crowd will get behind them and, and make it a difficult game for Man United, but we know the quality United have going forward, and It's just going to be a case of hoping, keeping it tight, keeping them under pressure and hoping that United have a bad night. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, we know that United's form has been very, very hit and very, very, very missed this season. I think United have lost, I think it's 14 games so far this season. Worst start to a league campaign in what, since the thirties, I think, I think the, uh, the year Um, United are actually going to be looking at Wigan as a, a way to get back to form. But, it was it was said on our podcast earlier this week that if United get beat by Wigan, it's probably you know <laughs> Terar to the manager because that would be a a disaster. United are out of the Champions League. We're not going to win the league title. Out of the Carabao Cup, we whimpered out against Newcastle. You know, facing Wigan on paper is an easy win. You know, as far as as far as it looks on paper, you know, not not in terms of the actual football itself. You know, Rasmus Hoyland has been out and has only scored one goal in the league this season. Anthony Martial is a complete waste of space. So United's attacking options are a bit flimsy. You know, in midfield, United continuously getting overrun, and United in the league have a minus five goal difference, which tells you how bad the defence has been this season. So regardless of what it looks like on paper, you know, Wigan, they've got nothing to lose at, at the end of the day, have you? You've got nothing to lose. You can go out there, you know, uh, you look at getting a draw, I think you, you end up with a replay. And if you get a replay at Old Trafford, the money as well that that will bring in is great. But but obviously from the, the club's perspective, they can beat Man United in the third round. The amount of money that will bring in will be much more of a, a an appeal to Wigan than it would be for United to progress. But like I say, United should be going out there looking to to use this as a bit of a an exhibition because they've got Spurs next a week, in a week or so, but then they've got a two-week break. And if they, if they beat Wigan they've got a game at the end of the month. And if they don't beat Wigan, they've not, and it'll have to be behind closed door friendlies or whatever. So, and with all the takeover stuff that's been going on at Old Trafford at the minute, you know, if, if Ten Hag was to lose this game, do, do the new owners look at it and go, right, you know, we need to, we need to get shot of this while we've got a bit of a break to, uh, to find somebody else. So the pressure's on Man United, you know, tenfold and Wigan could potentially use that to her advantage. But, you know, who's Wigan's danger man? Who is the guy that is going to be the guy that, that that scores that goal, who do, who has that Will Grigg moment. It's going to be Will Grigg, 1-0 up the ticks. Who's going to be that guy?
3: Yeah, as you say, it's a bit of a free hit for Latics, isn't it? Um, They've just got to go in there and and really give it a go. There's going to be a near sellout crowd at the DW. If they can earn a replay, fantastic. If they can't, I mean, there's TV money on a Monday night. So it's a huge boost to the club um, that, as I mentioned earlier, is still rebuilding, you know, since Mike Dance and the local businessman took over. So, yeah. um. I mean, I, I mentioned them slightly earlier. Callum Lang is probably the man. Um, he's, you know, he, he's been excellent since coming back in from Latics. He was loaned out several times when he was younger. And then during administration, he was brought back in um, the first time around during COVID. And he's never looked back. He, he's, he's capable of moments of brilliance. And he's also quite good at the dark arts as well. So he'll be in United's face, I imagine but Marshall Godo as well. He's just getting back to fitness from Fulham. He's capable of a moment and, and Tello Asgard worth mentioning him. He's a Wigan athletic Academy product. Um, he's got a ha- habit of scoring goals in the FA Cup. He not Blackburn out this time last year with a Howard set. He's capable of hitting them from distance. And, you know, it, as we say, it's just going to be a case of having a go and, Give it to Tello thirty yards out. You never know what will happen. Well,
1: I saw that you wrote a piece for for Quiff uh, Betting sight recently. What were your What was your take on the on the Wigan game? Just Just spell it out for the listeners who've uh, who won't have seen that piece. What uh, What What was your How did Wigan win? Moment. I'm
3: quite a downbeat Wigan Athletic fan at times. I think i have basically just said that it's going to be a struggle. It's an achievement to be here. Um, the stats are seriously against Wigan Athletic. We've mentioned the score lines. We normally get put away by Manchester United. It's Man City that we have the joy against. We're unbeaten in three FA Cup ties against City. I don't think any other club in the country can boast a stat like that. Um against United, not so much. Um we'll see they're at home it's the magic of the cup there's a near sellout crowd it's going to be the first time in a long time that um there's going to be you know twenty thousand plus in the dw stadium which is fantastic for the club and the town um and it's it's going to be a bit of a magic of the cup formula if we're going to going to knock united out they're going to need a combination of the team being at their best a bit of luck a bit of i mean when they beat city fabian dalf was sent off for city gave them that little advantage they're going to need bits of that you know. Reality speaks, you know, at the moment they're in the bottom half of league one without the deduction. They're a a mid table, you know, that's where they are at the moment. So they've got the players with a bit of talent to cause them trouble, but it's going to be a combination. But I think for me, logic tells you that 10 Hag's men are just going to have too much quality. I think they will be in for a tough, a tough night. Um, You know, you're not going to be able to go to a league one club and not have any trouble. You know, that, they're going to keep it tight. It's going to be a raucous atmosphere. It's going to be a difficult place to go, but um, I think United will have enough in the end for weekend
1: Yeah, well, United of uh, Eric Ten press conference uh, for, for for those still listening from earlier on. We're recording this on Thursday ahead of a release on Sunday. Where Eric Ten press conference was was this, this this afternoon, sort of about half four uh, local time, and he's sort of you know confirmed that Casemiro and Sandra miners back in training. Whether they will feature. They may be on the bench, probably not come on a bit like what City did with Kevin De Bruyne. But it's positive signs for United that these players are coming back at. I say at the right time. in any time's the right time. But given how poor United have been, they need they need their superstar names to be back in the team. And it'd be like a, I think Ten Hag said it himself. It'd be like five new signings when all these players come back. But um, but yeah. So uh, let's have a score prediction. Nate, we like to sign all these podcasts off with a bit of a bit of a score prediction. Um my score prediction based on based on the the history of these games is United comfortably winning 3 0. Um I say comfortably on paper, I don't mean comfortably in the actual 90 minutes, but United beat Palace in the Carabao Cup 3 nil. You know, they didn't really turn up. And then Palace came to Old Trafford a few days later and beat us, but uh, that's another story. <laughs> but I I just think United should go out there. He should be playing a full strength team, given the fact that we've got a bit of a break. Onana's sticking around, not going to AFCON. So I'm going to put my neck on mine and say
3: 3-0. Yeah, the head says probably 0-2. I think Wigan will keep it tight and United will break them down slowly and, and get a couple of goals to, to put them away. But we don't like the head, do we? The heart says 1-0, Lack, Brilliant. Well, for anybody listening who thinks Wigan do
1: have a bit of a chance, before Wigan's recent form, where they've lost three of their last six, I think it is, they actually only lost one of 14 so you know, if you if you if you don't just look beyond, you know, if you look beyond the end of your nose, beyond the last five six results, Wigan have actually got a pretty decent, pretty decent form, and you know it shows that they're stable at the back. They're not easy to break down, and you know United could be in for a tough night. But as a as a as a United fan, I want to see United go out there and do a job. I don't want there to be any talk of Eric Ten Hag losing his job because we only beat you one 0 in the ninetieth minute. I don't want a a 2-0 down, 3-2 comeback again that that papers over the cracks. You know, United, they've just lost a forest. United need to go out there and do a demolition job, really. It's probably not going to happen. It's probably going to be one nil either way. But I just I just hope that to sort of give a bit of respite to this negativity that's building around Manchester United that United do go out there and and do a job. But uh, Nick, it's been great to speak to you. I hope everything's well in Sydney. You can go back to bed now. And um you know, if, if anybody wants to catch up with Nick's Nick's happenings and follow his journey around Australia, where can we find you?
3: Yeah, cheers, Seb. It's quarter to eight here now in the morning, so we back to bed. And then it's still hostels at the moment, so I'll be, I'll be turfed out at about 10 so they can clean the room. So it, it it's tough at the top, mate. But yeah, I'm on Twitter at Nick said an underscore. That's probably the best place to catch me. I'm still freelancing bits and bobs in the UK. But uh no, it's all about the A League for me these days. I've
1: seen Nick on your Twitter all these grounds that you you ground hopping and um the, the was it the Melbourne derby you watched recently? Melbourne City versus Melbourne victory?
3: Uh, the Sydney Derby, yeah, which was pretty raucous actually. There was about um I don't actually know the attendance figure, but there must have been fifteen to twenty thousand on and there was a big Tifo in the in the home end. So it was a good effort, flares and the likes, so. Yeah, they're giving it a good go, the Aussies.
1: We'll, uh, well, we'll sign off there, Nick. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Good to see you virtually. And I'll, uh, I'll give you a shout next time United play Wigan. Thanks for listening, everybody. And if you want to hear more of the Manchester is red, don't forget to like, subscribe, follow us, and we'll see you all in the next one.